0: My name is Eva and welcome to Literature, Laughter and Learning. This is part two of the podcast series on the extremely talkative course attendant. The context of this series is adult learning and the focus is is on how we as educators can facilitate a learning environment for adult learners when that learning environment includes a disruptive talker. I have had a focus on professionals, but I think the problem might be recognized by educators in all spheres of adult learning and who deliver educational programs to students and course attendants. If you have not already done so, I would encourage you to listen to part one of this series, as this is a direct continuation of that talk. So happy listening. So on yesterday's podcast, I talked about the what, as in what is disruptive talking, and the who, as in who are the disruptive talkers. And I described four distinct types of talkers who can disrupt the flow of learning in a lecture room. These four were the joyful front bencher, the indifferent back bencher, the examiner and the copy and repeat. Today I am going to talk about the what and the how, as in what can we educators do and how might we go about it as we navigate a learning environment that includes a disruptive talker. As I mentioned in part one of this series, the goal of the educator doing something about disruption is to regain control of the learning environment, not gain control over the disruptive talker, but to regain control of the learning environment so that knowledge can be generated amongst the attendants and thereby ensure the opportunity at least for transfer of knowledge from the lecture room to the workplace. This means that the educator must decide on a course of action. Not doing anything will in itself enhance the disruption. So inspired by the great theorists of learning such as Dewey, Lewin and others, I have selected four actions that are useful to activate when the learning environment includes a disruptive talker. These four actions are number one, keeping the structure, number two, using the group's dynamics, number three, being transparent, and number four, showing the disruptive talker that they have been seen and understood without them having to be heard. To return to the first action, the one that I called keeping the structure. This is an action that helps in many circumstances, including dealing with a disruptive talker. I am myself a proponent of the mantra be over-prepared and under-structured, which simply means that I strive to be very well prepared on the subject matter that I am delivering a course on and all its many variations. I do this in order to be flexible on the actual day of the course. However, I fall back to agreed-upon contracts between myself and the course attendants if I feel that I am losing control of the learning environment as it can happen when a disruptive talker starts steering the course away from the intended learning goals. In that case, or In such a scenario, I will simply take a time out and verbally revise the contract, as I call it, you might call it, the agreements that you and the course attendants verbally uh, agreed upon at the start of the course. So I will verbally say, all right, let's just recap. I am going to deliver the best learning I know how. I am going to answer your questions and if I don't understand what you're saying, I will simply ask you. I am going to pause for breaks every 45 minutes and so on and so forth. I will simply revise what we agreed upon. I will then strictly keep to it. Sometimes, if I have a co-educator or there is an attendant present that I know very well, I will ask them to be a mediator with the sole task of keeping a strict eye on whose turn it is to speak as the attendants raise their hands to pose a question. Now this is a great way of preventing verbal battles about who has the right to say something and when and it also reduces disruptive induced anxiety <laughs> not least in the educator. This action, keeping the structure, especially helps the joyful bencher and the indifferent backbencher as it reminds them that they are still part of a group who have agreed upon something in common. Not surprisingly, this action keeping the structure is closely aligned with the second action that of using the group's dynamics now within the first half hour of a course an educator will usually get the lay of the land with the group of attendants assembled in the lecture room or the classroom as an educator you will gauge whether the attendants are smiling were they smiling as they entered the room Did they greet each other? Did they greet the educator? I also usually try to look for who has, as I call it, the best group empathetic vibes, which is just a way of saying who seems to be the one looking out for everyone else and who seems to hardly notice that anyone else is present. As you as an educator start facilitating the learning and start the course, these different traits will become even more visible. You will be able to see who is it who always answers questions or at least tries to, but you will also be able to gauge who is it who seems to uh, receive a great deal of acknowledgement for their comments who is very brief in their questions and who extrapolates at length and how does the group actually deal with that? Using the group's dynamics can enhance the learning curve of all present and it is especially effectful on the indifferent backbencher who is in risk of not really learning anything new if they merrily keep to monologuing about things they already know. The indifferent backbencher sometimes needs to be guided to a more analytical frame of mind and to do this I might pose questions to the rest of the group. Questions that sound like, When you hear, and then I would relate it to what the indifferent backbencher has said, do you think that other clinicians, other professionals, might think otherwise? Or I would pose the question, how can we understand this in the context of everyday work? Is it doable? Now, the aim here is not to expose the indifferent backbencher, but to afford that type of talker the opportunity to engage with the others That is to say, afford the opportunity for the indifferent backbencher to engage with other people other than the educator. Now, the group's response will usually be far more forthright than the educator's. But the great advantage is that they really do have hands-on knowledge about how things could work in the everyday professional sphere. It is characteristic for the indifferent backbencher as well as the joyful frontbencher that they really do need gentle reminders that they, at least for the duration of the course, are part of a group who can actually deliver insights that are worthwhile listening to. Activating the group 's collective knowledge in response to the joyful front bencher and the indifferent backbencher is in my experience a very uh, good thing and has a good effect on the two types of disruptive talkers. if you are lucky as an educator, these two types of disruptive talkers will when they gradually start to listen to the group actually shift their focus from being exclusively on the educator and start paying more attention to the knowledge that the group attendants are actually generating. This can actually reduce the quantity of time that the joyful frontbencher and the indifferent backbencher spend on, well, talking disruptively. This, however, is rarely the scenario for the examiner whose focus on the educator and on examining the educator is very difficult to shift. The action of being transparent works far more effectively here. My experience is that transparency works well if you first put on your detective cap and then target your answer to what you think is at play. So I might sometimes ask the examiner, I am a little uncertain as to whether it is the source material you'd like to know more about or is it the empirical evidence that you wish to discuss. When and if I do answer the examiner, I try to give a very factual response. But if the questions just keep on coming, I might add, thank you for all your questions. I would really like to answer them. However, I do have a bag of knowledge that I have planned to unpack in the time allotted to me. So I am going to stop for now. If you are interested, you can mail me your additional questions and I will answer them after the course. Of course one has to be true to one's word then and actually answer these questions, but it has been my experience that they are far more moderated in written form than they are verbally. Now this action of being transparent resembles keeping the structure, but whereas revising the structure that is to say, when I take a time-out and revise the, agree, the agreements I have made with the course attendants, that is an approach that appeals to the emotional rapport that you have already developed with the group. Being transparent lends itself to a far more factual framework that highlights clarity, but it can decrease the appeal to emotions which is fine for those attendants who might find dealing with emotions in the lecture room as difficult. In this way, when you are being transparent, the ground is choked up, but it can be done without hostility and without an appeal to emotions. The more factual approach can also be effective with that type of disruptive talker that I in part one called the copy and repeat. As stated in part one of this series, this is a person who might actually be learning as they are talking, as they are repeating everything you as an educator have just said, as they try to find logistical categories in their head. Now, This, of course, is a very positive thing, but everyone else in the lecture room is doing it too. They are just doing it silently. Now, the copy and repeat talker stands in contrast to the indifferent backbencher, who, you might remember, needed guidance towards a more analytical perspective. The copy and repeat talker is analysing out loud so what they might need is support in reaching meaningful conclusions. In such scenarios, I again ask the group questions that might sound like this. When you hear this, and then I repeat what the copy and repeat talker has actually just repeated, I will then say, how could one reach a conclusion that is meaningful how could one envision a solution or I will say, how could one solve this in everyday practice? When I ask these questions to the other attendants, I purposefully ask the group to reflect on how it could be understood in their own context, not in the context of the copy and repeat Disruptive talker. This I do so that the copy and repeat disruptive talker actually has to wait and listen to other perspectives that they themselves have not been thinking about. This enhances the transferable knowledge that they can gain. So while the joyful front bencher and the indifferent back bencher as I said before, need to be reminded that there is learning to be had through generating knowledge within uh, the talk of the other attendants. The copy and repeat talker needs the educator's support in being integrated to the group and to be seen as a valuable contributor. To be seen is a core component of the last action. That is the one of showing the disruptive talker that they have been seen and understood without them having to be heard. Now, regardless of whether the individual course attendant is an active person, is a great talker, is a disruptive talker or a silent participant, They are, as we are as educators, out to uh, get one thing. And that is we all have a need. We have an urge to be seen, heard and understood by our fellow human beings. And my claim would be that this urge lives in the disruptive talker just as it lives in all of us. But if we as educators seek to simply ignore them as they once again raise their hand to pose a question and disrupt the flow of learning, if we simply ignore them, then the disruptive talker might feel that the only way they can be seen and heard is to increase the volume. So they might stop raising their hand and start interrupting Or they might find themselves asking more and more questions. And so, in trying to prevent this, I try to symbolize verbally and especially non verbally that I have seen, heard, and understood the disruptive talker. Now, one might be wary of having eye contact with the disruptive talker. I mean, does that? not even encourage them but it has been my experience that it can have a calming effect to have eye contact with the disruptive talker as indeed it has a a calming effect on all of us I have a lot of eye contact with course attendants in general also with the disruptive talker especially if I am returning to a subject that the disruptive talker was interested in. This shows that I actually heard them and it reassures the disruptive talker that they don't need to repeat what they have already said. But the disruptive talker will invariably ask a question and when they do, I might add, comments such as yes thank you for that question i saw that you reacted when i said this this and this or i might say oh yes i did see you writing that down all this is done to put into words i see you i understand you even without you having to talk and to be heard now this approach works best if you have already developed some rapport with this person so this approach is of course variable but when it does work it is one of my favorite actions and approaches and I often put it to use especially with the indifferent backbencher and the examiner so I am nearing the end of this talk about the disruptive talker in the lecture room. And in rounding off, it is always worth asking the question, well, what do we know now that we did not know before? I started this podcast talking about the what and characterizing four distinct types of disruptive talkers. I have talked about the joyful bencher, the indifferent backbencher, the examiner, and the copy and repeat, and have explored why they can be defined as disruptive to the flow of learning. Today, I have talked at great length, I will have to admit that, about the how. That is, how can we use the knowledge of knowing who they are to finding out what to do, And this has led to an examination of four particular and specific actions that can prove efficient when navigating the learning environment that is being disrupted by a persistent talker. And these four actions have been, number one, keeping the structure, number two, using the group's dynamics, number three, Being transparent and, number four, showing the disruptive talker that they have been seen and understood without them having to be heard. It is quite evident, I think, that the burden of leadership and responsibility of changing or steering the flow of learning towards the intended goals lies with the educator. I myself can often feel tempted to quickly fix what I perceive as a problem. But luckily, at heart, I am a proponent of investigating possible reasons for the behavior or the actions that I'm seeing before fixing whatever it is I think is wrong. So if I were to recommend anything, I would say, Be a detective before deciding on a course of action. And when you do decide on a course of action, there are many well tried solutions to pick from. These two talks, this one and part one, have been an examination of those kind of solutions that I have tried and have had good results with. As I stated in the beginning, I have based a lot of my talk on my own and my colleagues' experiences. But I have also been inspired by theorists like Dewey, as I mentioned, but there's also Edward Lindemann on his work on adult learning. There's Bayon's work on groups and others. And so I would only encourage you to seek them out if you wish to know a, a lot more about adult learning. I really hope you have found this useful. Perhaps you have methods as an educator that I might learn about and talk about in the future. So let's keep the conversation going. I really like making these podcasts and if you have enjoyed listening, I hope you'll consider leaving a like on the page and subscribing to this podcast. It's perfectly free to do so, but it does help me with the algorithm of the internet and it helps me be um, visible and it helps my podcast grow. So I hope you'll consider it. But for now, I have been Eva